Hello everybody and welcome to the Youth Mental Health Podcast. Um, today we are going to be talking about trauma through the generations. My name is Karen McConney and I have worked with children and young people who've experienced mental health and trauma for probably nearly 30 years now, mostly all in the Northern Trust and actually a fairly significant amount of that time within, within CAMS. So I'd like my colleague Kira to introduce herself today as well. Hi everybody, so I'm Kira Downs. I'm also a clinical psychologist and I've worked with children and young people who've experienced trauma both at home and in other situations. Um, children who've come into the care system, who've been adopted and also children living at home with their parents. Today we're going to talk about trauma through the generations, Karen. Yeah, I think so. And I think other people might use the term intergenerational trauma, but I think we sort of thought it was maybe more helpful to think of it in terms of trauma through the generations. So could you explain a wee bit about what, what this is, Kira? Yeah, Karen, so we know from our first podcast we did together, we talked about the impact of direct experiences of trauma on a child and young person. Um, so we know that trauma itself can have a significant impact on the body and the brain of adults and children and young people. And we know that some people will go on to develop post-traumatic symptoms, such as post-traumatic stress disorder or adjustment reactions or other types of mental health difficulties. Now, intergenerational trauma, as you've mentioned, or trauma through the generations, is about how the impact of trauma on one generation can be passed to the next generation. Okay, so that can actually happen. So if I've been traumatised, can that affect my children, Kira? Yeah, we think so, Karen. So today we're going to give a little bit of an idea to our listeners about some of the research around this. And then we're going to focus a little bit on what can you actually do. So our message today is a message of hope. So although we think that actually trauma that parents or grandparents have experienced can have an impact on the next generation, we know that there's things that can really help. Okay, okay. Well, that'll be interesting to hear about. So how do we know that intergenerational trauma really exists, Kira? Yeah, Karen, so ideas about intergenerational trauma really go back a very long way. But it wasn't until mental health professionals in America started to really research and notice and work with the children of Holocaust survivors who hadn't themselves experienced the Holocaust at all. They discovered that, that these children and adult children were often really struggling emotionally. So many were experiencing post-traumatic stress disorder in relation to the Holocaust, even though they actually hadn't been through it themselves. So they were having nightmares about the Holocaust. They were having intrusive, almost memories or flashbacks about the Holocaust itself, even though they weren't involved in it. So that was really frightening for many people. And so mental health professionals really sat up and thought, what is causing this? What, what is this about? So more and more researchers started to carry out interviews with adult children of Holocaust survivors and found that in some of those adult children of Holocaust survivors, there were some difficulties with really coping with the trauma that their family had experienced. So more and more researchers started to carry out interviews with adult children of Holocaust survivors and found a range of difficulties, not in all of them, but in some, they were experiencing depression, they were experiencing difficulties in their, you know, marriages or romantic relationships. 
anxiety, as I mentioned, post-traumatic stress disorder. And really since then, researchers have found that trauma associated with many other situations, like for example, the Vietnam War, like refugee experiences, parents who've survived torture, other war experiences, that lots of different types of trauma can actually have an impact on the second generation. Okay, so I'm guessing or I'm wondering, is this, is this the case for everyone? Would everybody move through those experiences? So if your parent has experienced something like being in the Vietnam War, does that mean you're, that you're definitely going to have sort of difficulties in relation to that? Or is it that some people won't experience those difficulties? So we know, Karen, that even with a direct experience of trauma, of a potentially traumatic event, that not everybody is affected anyway. And certainly not everybody's child is affected by their experiences of trauma. It really depends on the situation, on the context, on lots of different things, which we'll we'll talk about in a bit more detail today. Okay, okay. Um, so how does intergenerational trauma happen then? How does, how does it sort of move from one generation, trauma move from one generation? To the next. So it's not necessarily that the trauma moves, but the impact of trauma, ha- you know, has an impact in a number of different ways. So we're going to talk about two. We're going to touch on two today. One is nature and one's nurture. So you've probably heard that debate before. Is it nature? Is it nurture? And for most things, it's usually a mixture of both. So in terms of nature, first of all, So we know that direct experiences of trauma can have an impact on our own cortisol levels. Now, cortisol is a hormone which is produced in the adrenal glands, which are on top of the kidneys. When cortisol is released into the bloodstream, Karen, it helps us cope with stress. Okay. So a research team led by Rachel Yehuda in the US carried out some studies with a group of pregnant women who had been present and witnessed the September 11th attacks. So they were pregnant at the time they went through this really traumatic event. And the research team found that among those women who developed PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder, and remember, not all trauma survivors will develop PTSD. But among those who did develop it, their babies had an unusually low level of cortisol when measured during the first year of their life. So if you have cortisol levels that are too low, it's difficult to cope with stress. And lower cortisol levels were most apparent in the babies born to mothers who were in their third trimesters during the September 11th attacks. That's really interesting. So the mother's cortisol levels being low during pregnancy as a consequence of being involved in the September 11 attacks. Then whenever their babies were born there, cortisol levels were low as well. And there was another study published in 2021 uh, by a group of researchers in Denmark, which found something similar. So they studied a group of women who had experienced sexual trauma and torture during the war in Kosovo. So those women were often, you know, they were in their childhoods or adolescence during the war, and then they became pregnant later. And among those who experienced PTSD during their pregnancy, um, often their babies had abnormal levels of cortisol as well. So it's really interesting. So we know that nature has a role to play in how trauma affects the different generations. Okay, so that that sort of explains a wee bit about the nature part of 
trauma through the generations, but you also mentioned nurture or perhaps the psychological mechanisms that trauma can impact from one generation to the next. What do we know about that so far, Kira? So there's quite a bit of research on this, Karen, and lots of different theories about the the kind of psychological mechanisms, the the how of how trauma can impact on, on the next generation. One of the things that came out of the early case studies of the second generation after the Holocaust is that the, the tendency in those families was to really keep quiet and not talk about what happened in, a, in an attempt to really protect their children from just how difficult it was. But instead, the adult children, when they were reflecting on this, they tended to suggest that in their families growing up, although they didn't know the specifics of what happened to their parents, it was almost like it was always silently present. So it was communicated to the children non-verbally, kind of indirectly. It was never actually explained to them. You know, something came on the TV about the Holocaust and suddenly there would be an atmosphere in the home. So one of the most famous researchers really on intergenerational trauma, Yale Danielli, she described this as, she called it a conspiracy of silence, which is an interesting kind of yeah. term, a bit of an odd term, really. But she called it that because although the parents were really trying to protect their children from what had happened to them, often this way of protecting them had an impact on the children. So, for example, you know, uh, something comes on the TV about the Holocaust and then there's an atmosphere in the home because the parents are reminded of what they went through and are experiencing maybe upset Maybe they're having flashbacks, maybe they're feeling very distressed, but they're not saying it. And suddenly the child picks up on those feelings. And we've talked in our last podcast, Karen, about mirror neurons and how our brains mirror each other. So children know when their parents aren't okay, and particularly in situations where parents have been traumatized. Children are often very aware of the emotional atmosphere in the home and how the parents are feeling and that can have an impact on them and in research we conducted in Northern Ireland about the conflict here we found actually the same thing so in many families where parents had experienced really terrible things in the Northern Ireland conflict in the Troubles their children didn't exactly know what happened some families did discuss it in a lot of detail but many families don't discuss it in a lot of detail in order to protect their children but often children pick up on mood swings and the real distress that their parents are feeling. Again, because of mirror neurons, we can't keep our emotions from our children, really, even if we, we want to. Children's brains are just picking up on how the adults around them are feeling. And that really makes an awful lot of sense whenever we have talked about the sort of mirror neurons and, and sort of the previous podcast. So picking up that sense of um maybe irritability or um as you mentioned something coming on on the tv or not really going into any detail actually about what they've experienced that the children will pick that up but i'm wondering are there other ways that people parents may have coped with the troubles or um, what they may have done yeah so a couple of things i'm thinking about karen so we know that when you've gone through a traumatic event event really difficult experiences can impact on our beliefs about ourselves, our beliefs about others and our beliefs about the world. So sometimes we'll feel 
blame ourselves for going through traumatic events like we talked about in the last podcast and sometimes there can be a lot of shame sometimes it can feel like the world is a really dangerous place and sometimes that can be communicated to children that sense of threat be careful who you talk to be careful where you go you know people aren't trustworthy for example and so it's those beliefs sometimes that can be passed from one generation to the next we also know, particularly in, in the context of the troubles in Northern Ireland, that parents sometimes use substances like alcohol, prescription drugs, as a way of coping with their trauma. And we know that growing up with a parent who's using substances can have a really big impact on children because those parents often aren't able to tune in to how their child is feeling. You know, aren't able maybe to um, keep consistency in terms of meal times or or even just respond emotionally to their child when they need them. Okay, so I suppose that's interesting. That idea of using maybe substances as a way to cope, because I suppose that's a bit partly about trying to cope to to move away from the difficult feelings that you experience as a consequence of the troubles. Yeah, and what you know, research has also found, Karen, is that a loss of a sense of community you know, particularly in the troubles, people had to move home. Sometimes they were intimidated out of their homes. And that loss of a sense of community can really impact on parents' ability to kind of manage day to day because we all need support. It's not easy to be a parent. And and often that loss of community supports and friendships can really have an impact. In terms of actually parents become much more isolated from the community and their own resources then in terms mm. of support and process and recovery being impacted on um, and then the influence that that has in terms of actually how they're able to sort of parent their own children. Absolutely. Another thing to think about is when people have been through traumatic experiences themselves, you know, in order to keep themselves safe from further hurt, often it's quite difficult to trust other people and when you go on to have a baby then sometimes it can be hard to you know, open your heart to the baby and um, maybe you're worried about losing them maybe you've lost a lot of people in the past already and so almost as a way of keeping yourself safe and without really meaning to there can be an impact on how well you can bond so in some of the research that's been conducted here about the troubles and the impact of the troubles what we found is that sometimes there can be bonding difficulties. Parents just find it difficult to really form a close connection with their children, even though they want to. Sometimes that, that can be difficult and children then will feel the impact of that, Karen. I'm wondering, could that also be the other way around? And that's actually that the bond is becomes very, very tight as a consequence of that real strong need to protect your child. And the, the impact then on the child is that they're not able to have the freedom to develop in ways that they may otherwise would have. Is that something that might happen, Kira? Absolutely. A lot of the research that came out of Holocaust families actually found that, that, you know, even as adults, that the second generation find it hard to kind of have their own lives, really, apart from their parents, um, that that. that the families are so close-knit that it's difficult to actually become, you know, an independent adult and have your own family that's separate. There are two different types of reactions then on family relationships. Which can be that there's that really too close uh, mm. and then actually too far apart. 
Yes. Um, and neither good. extreme is, is great. As, no, of yeah. course not. And then we know that parents sometimes struggle themselves with their mental health after going through a traumatic event. So um, just getting up in the morning, it can be difficult if you're going through low mood, if you're experiencing anxiety, getting out and about and, and being able to do things for yourself can be really difficult. And we know that parents' mental health can have a real impact on children's well-being, children's coping as well. Again, because we've talked about how our brains mirror each other and particularly children's brains are picking up on the emotional atmosphere in the home and are really tuned into how parents cope with the world. So if they see that, you know, um, when a parent comes across, you know, a stranger on the street and they look and feel very anxious, very worried, children will pick up on that as that there's something to be worried about. There is threat here. And so their natural reaction will be to also feel that sense of threat and anxiety. Of course, which let's sort of connects into that sort of mirroring um, and that sort of way of sort of linking between how the parents feel and how the child's feel as well. So um, I suppose I'm thinking about, you know, parental mental health and also then maybe some of the young people who experience mental health problems later on in terms of anxiety or low mood or uh, I'm also wondering about children who maybe become parents to their own parents um, mm. as well because that can happen too, can't it? Um, yeah, you know, sometimes in situations where parents are feeling, you know, very vulnerable or having their own mental health difficulties, children can almost become a little parent we call it parentified child, um, where they feel that they need to protect them. They almost seem, you know, older than their years. And actually they're missing out on their own childhoods when that happens. Um, we know that that's, that's not so great for children's emotional development when that happens. Okay. Um, I think that's all really interesting, but suppose the guess the part I'm wondering about is do we know what helps? What is there anything that we can do in relation to transgenerational or, or intergenerational trauma? So it can be difficult, Karen, to really disentangle direct experiences of trauma from the transgenerational trauma. So often families where there have been tra trauma experiences in another generation, often those families are living you know, in situations that are still really stressful. Maybe they're living in communities that are very deprived. Maybe they're living with poverty. Um, so really, I suppose, addressing those kind of things are really important initially. So having a sense of safety, being able to put food on the table, being able to put your heat on when it's cold out. I mean, those basic things are so, so very important, but not easy for many families. No, no. And then for parents who are struggling to cope themselves, it is really important that they're able to reach out for help because, you know, it does, it takes a village to raise a child. You know, it's it's not easy to do it by yourself or even in a couple. Um, so really reaching out for help, particularly if you're struggling, there's lots of support around um, asking for help from your family or friends or from community organisations around you. And then just being compassionate with yourself as a parent, because if you've been through traumatic experiences yourself or you've grown up with a parent who was traumatized, 
you know, recognizing that your reactions are your brain's way of trying to keep you safe. So having that bit of compassion for yourself, keeping track of times when maybe your feelings, your reactions with your child are kind of out of proportion to the situation. So times when you feel like maybe you've overreacted, even taking a notebook and Karen and just writing it down and, and beginning to reflect on, you know, those times when you can feel overwhelmed. The more that we're able to reflect on ourselves and our own behaviour and our own feelings, that can actually really help us to make changes. I guess that because that, that sort of part in terms of reflecting might help us to understand a little more about what might key us into becoming um, sort of agitated or annoyed or upset and also maybe trying to work out things that help to save us at those points in time too so that we're maybe less likely to become overwhelmed at points is that is that sort of something that's helpful i think it really is and you know it's so easy nowadays i think to just distract ourselves with you know the phone or screens or the tv if we're feeling distressed but actually having other ways of soothing ourselves are really important too so you know reaching out for support from other people you know, having a bath, having just taking a few minutes to sit down and take some deep breaths. Not so easy if you've got young children you need to look after. You know, looking after your own health, your own sleep, making sure you're getting enough sleep, um, looking after your nutrition. So, so important. So the very, the very key things are really important in terms of, you know, having the right sleep, the right nutrition, looking after your own health prioritizing your own health in a way which I think probably a lot of us are very poor at um, but to know that that's actually okay and it's really important to prioritize space and time for your own health uh, and well-being um, maybe having things that are you know good to, to look forward to to do might, might also be something that would be useful for for people um, yeah taking small steps you know to kind of get out there and meet people if possible or you know if if the bigger things like going to a, like a, a parent and toddler group seems like too much what small steps could you take instead reaching out to you know somebody next door that you know and just telling them it's it's quite tricky and you know it would be really good to have a bit of support so Kira, we've talked a wee bit about um, some things that might be helpful for parents who either have been traumatised themselves or have been impacted upon by the trauma that their own parents have experienced. I'm wondering what could be helpful for the children and young people in those families? So we talked a little bit in our last podcast, Karen would encourage people to have a listen to that about helping children who've experienced trauma. But for you know trauma that's come through the generations the same sort of strategies can be really helpful so making sure that there's a sense of safety in the home and and if a child is currently in a situation that isn't safe you know really asking for for help with that is so important and um, because it's really hard to recover from trauma if you're currently feeling unsafe and then, you know, having some predictability in our routines at home can be really helpful. So having consistency in terms of mealtimes, bedtimes, having people around them, adults around them that understand 
that there's people in school that they can go to, adults they can go to when they're feeling distressed. Having those key relationships can be so important. And at home, encouraging them to, you know, try creative ways to express their feelings. So, you know, getting out the paintbrush, getting out the, the pencils and just allowing children and young people to express themselves in those ways can be really helpful. You know, being available, reminding them that you're there to talk about anything as a parent. You're there to talk to, you know, should they need to talk. Okay. And I'm wondering a wee bit, because you'd mentioned earlier about the research in relation to the Holocaust and the troubles, that sort of sense of conspiracy of silence. And actually within that, then that the children and young people do have a sense that there's something around for their parent, but they, they don't know the detail or the content. Is there, is there something about actually being able to have a level of discussion with children and young people about what your own experience has been like? Yeah, so some of the research among Holocaust families found that a minority of those families discuss too much detail about what happened. And that can equally be very distressing for children. So it's age appropriate stories. It's it's letting them have a general idea of what happened. But, you know, when you are experiencing as a, as a parent, maybe a trauma reminder, maybe something comes on the TV about the troubles, for example, and you've been through it yourself and you feel really distressed. You know, it's okay to say, oh, I'm feeling, I'm just feeling a wee bit sad or I'm feeling a wee bit stressed right now. I just need a wee break. You know, just naming how you're feeling. You don't have to go into lots and lots of details about it, but children feel it anyway. So naming it can actually be helpful. I could imagine and it could be a relief as well, because sometimes whenever children know the information, then they're less likely to imagine something more. Mm. Um, and it's sort of more factual. So there's a set one about actually having some detail, as you've mentioned, in an age appropriate way about what's around for you at that point in time. I think that's a really good point, Karen, because when children don't really understand the feelings that they're noticing in their parents, particularly young children, often they'll imagine it's about them. They've done something wrong, you know, or I'm not good enough. Just because of the way children develop their, their kind of uh, understanding of themselves and others when they're very young, often they'll imagine that emotions in their parents are about them. So if a parent's able to say, oh, I'm just having a really difficult day or I'm feeling stressed today, often that can really help children to feel better about themselves so they don't perceive it to be their fault yeah they've done something wrong mm. but actually they have something that they can hang their parents upset that day on for want of a better word so that they know well mommy's really tired today or actually mum's um you know she saw something that upset her a wee bit so yeah. that there's something that they understand that allows them to know that it wasn't something they've done absolutely I'm just wondering, are there any other things that are that can actually be helpful in terms of, you know, focusing on that parent-child relationship? Because you've mentioned a few things for the parent and then there's some things that we can think about for, for children, like consistency and safety and routine and, and those things. Um, are, there, are there things that actually we can do in terms of that parent-child relationship that would be helpful? Yeah, so really taking time parent and child together and, and that can be really difficult if parents are 
maybe they're out at work and they don't have that much time in the evenings with their children or maybe they're not at work but they're really struggling with their own mental health but really trying to have that focused time together every day and it might not be a very long amount of time but a little bit of time to have a bit of fun together play a little game for older teenagers you know having a cup of tea side by side or watching a bit of a tv program together you know those very simple things are so important and can go sometimes when families have experienced trauma okay thank you care um i suppose we're sort of going to finish off today but actually just to recap uh, we've talked a little bit today about the idea of trauma through the generations or intergenerational trauma and what that might be and the possibility that it can happen. It doesn't happen to everybody, um, but it is a possibility uh, in terms of trauma that's been experienced by a grandparent to a parent, um, then then being the impact of that um, being influential in terms of a child and, and their own development. We've talked about that idea of nurture and psychological mechanisms, which mean that trauma from one generation may impact the next generation. And we've also talked a wee bit about that idea of you know what parents can do to help themselves whenever they're sort of feeling feeling traumatized and have had very difficult experiences. Uh, we've mentioned our previous podcast, which was about what trauma is and how it affects us. And some of the ideas that might be useful for children and young people um, in terms of helping their recovery journey in relation to trauma and these are equally important in in this sort of a situation and i suppose in this situation as well we've talked a wee bit about actually trying to break that conspiracy of silence in a way that's age appropriate for, for children and young people so that they have an understanding of actually what their parent or their grandparent may have experienced and how that influences their life today for all our listeners, there's a short survey embedded in the text around this podcast. Kira and I would really love to get your feedback and comments, as well as any ideas or suggestions for the future about topics that you might like us to cover or discuss. Kira, thank you so much again for joining us today and sharing your insights into trauma through the generations. Thanks, Karen. Good to be with you. Thank you to all our listeners. We hope you find today's podcast useful and we look forward to you joining us again in our youth mental health series of the Northern Trust.